That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, uh, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we are coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo. I can go on, but I'm not going to bore you. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two on the top 60 on Feedspot, number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, Elaine Canelli, almost like cannoli, <laughs> is a mom who lost her 18-year-old son, Matthew, to suicide. Tragic. But she also defines herself as a teacher, businesswoman, and grandmother to three lovely grandchildren. I have seven. And the latest being a granddaughter just two weeks old. Uh, Elaine is described on the cover of her latest book as a friendly and accessible voice of experience who found how... Even the wounds of suicide can heal into hope and restoration. Before we get started, I want to thank um, my last week's guest, Bob Krulish. It's what we say and how we say it that makes all the difference in caring for our loved one. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other 26 global networks I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Elaine, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's ours. I always like to ask my guests just who is Elaine Kennelly and why was she placed on this earth? Ah, that's a great question. (laughs) I am just a normal, everyday mom. There is nothing special about me except that I have uh, come through a very terrific grief journey in the loss of our 18-year-old son to suicide. Suicide really shows no mercy. It's a, it's a long and complex grief journey, and you have to be very careful, and I know you like that word care, you have to be very careful to take good care of yourself during that process, right. and most people do not. I did not, I, and I made a lot of mistakes. I I made a lot of mistakes and I share them all because I think we have something to learn from them. Yeah. You know, I, uh, my father uh, cheated on my mother, divorced her, married a female attorney. And uh, she had a son who I knew in, in school as I growing up with. So it was very awkward for me. All of a sudden this, this guy who was just, you know, a mild acquaintance uh, becomes your stepbrother. And he had committed suicide and I felt so guilty about it because I was going sailing this one particular day at, and I stopped in my father's gas station to get gas. And he was there and he's, Hey, Dave, how you doing? I said, Oh, hi, John. He says, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going sailing. And I heard a voice in my head, in my ear. It said, ask John to go sailing with you today. But instead I heard come out of my mouth. Yeah. You should come with us next time. Maybe next week. He says, yeah, it sounds like great. Sounds like fun. So we took off, got our gas, had a great time, came back. My dad calls me up on the phone. I says, hey, what's up? And there was silence. And finally, he says, John killed himself tonight. He said, no, I just saw him at the gas station. We're going sailing next week. I didn't listen to that voice. I felt so guilty. And that's my story and dealing with that. But I can't even imagine what you have gone through. Um, That was the mistake I made. What? 
what two huge mistakes did you make in this grieving process? And what makes suicide grief different than, you know, other kinds of grief, you know, just dying of old age, uh, your mother or something like that? Well, a a suicide death is complex. It's a sudden death, which is uh, a shock to your system. Uh, It's not a normal death. And especially the death of a child, there is so much guilt involved. And I berated myself for years. Um, But there are so many nagging questions after a suicide loss. But the big one being why? Why? Why did your stepbrother take his life? Why did my son take his life? We will never really know. And that's the haunting part of suicide. They chose to leave the relationship, the family. They chose to leave their own life. They made that choice. And you have to live with that choice. And a lot of it is rejection. I took it as rejection. And yet, Matthew left a lovely note for us saying that we were great parents. But of course, I didn't believe that. I faulted myself for years. So that's, that grief journey with suicide is complex. And it takes a long time to heal. And if you are not careful, if you do not take care of yourself. I stuffed all my feelings inside. And guess what? That doesn't work, does it? No. I don't know why I'm tearing up right now. You're hitting some nerves. Um, We, at least I did, and I know you probably did, we look back to try to figure out, why didn't I see this coming? What were the warning signs? And there are warning signs. Uh, And we usually see them after it's too late. Why didn't I see that he had a problem with depression? Why didn't I see that he was unhappy in this or whatever? Talk about that and how we beat ourselves up over that. Oh, we do. We berate ourselves for years. The guilt lingers. And that's what makes suicide grief so very different. Um, Of course, I berated myself over why didn't I see this? Why didn't I see that? But we had already started with Matthew at age 12 Mm -hmm. with a psychologist, um, with medication, Uh, But what happened when he turned 18 is we were no longer involved in that medical treatment. Mm. We could not uh, talk to the doctors or the therapists. We could not find out about his appointment schedule. Um, The laws just said at 18, you're an adult and you can make your own decisions. And that was a huge mistake for Matthew. And of course, we even begged the doctors, won't you please listen to us? And to no avail. Of course, after Matthew died, the doctors were willing to speak to us. And, you know, all of that, all of those emotional concerns you have to deal with instead of shoving them inside. Because if you push them down and don't resolve them, they just eat away at you. And for me, my personal response was that I I was like a huge sinkhole. If you ever seen a, a Florida sinkhole picture, you know, it just... <laughs> It just disappears. And I, I pretty much went into a, a pit of bitterness, a pit of self-pity, poor me. And I was so angry. And one of my angers was really directed toward God. God, how could you allow this to happen yeah. in our family? We were just a normal, everyday American Christian family even. I believe that God would heal Matthew And of course, I had to resolve that issue. 
So um, it required a lot of forgiveness on my part. And I would have to say that that's a key, a key in the healing process. Because you don't have to stay in that pit or that sinkhole forever, do you? No. How long did it take for you to get out of there? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I would say almost two decades. Oh, my. Yeah. 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 I I married an older woman who had a five-year-old and a 10-year-old when we married them. And when the middle one, uh, the older one was in love with me because, you know, I rescued her from an abusive uh, uh, parent and uh, spouse, you know, to her mother. And the middle one was too young to know what was going on. So I was the guy who replaced her father. It must be my fault or something, you know, like that. And of Mm -hmm. course it wasn't. But she had a tough um, adolescence. Uh, She tried to commit suicide when she was 16 twice Mm -hmm. and didn't succeed. And and, uh, did Matthew ever attempt suicide before he actually was successful in it? No, no, he did not. But the statistic for America in 2020 is that there were 1.4 million suicide attempts. Mm. And that number is on the rise. Um, The military numbers are terrible. The highest they've been ever, ever. Um, Veterans, um, just the whole scenario in America, you know, it's it's not positive. And it's getting worse. and just the the turmoil within families, you know, it, it's it's suicide. I, I don't speak much on suicide prevention because I truly can't. Mm. But um, <laughs> I, I do want to speak to those who are hurting for years after suicide loss because they need not stay there. There are some choices. There is a mindset. My biggest mistake in my healing, Dave, Mm. was that I played the negative recording, you know, and I told myself lies. I believed the lie. I believed this lie that I could heal all by myself. I didn't need anybody. And that was not true. I needed people around me. I needed caregivers. And here's, here's something that's so perfect for your audience. If you, if someone in your sphere of influence takes their life, don't just let it pass by. Just be there for that person. There is nothing you can say. You have no magic words to say that will soothe them at that moment. But your presence, your phone calls, your texts, your care in a greeting card. I mean, those are all simple little ways that you can reinforce some care to that family because they're hurting. They're hurting and they will be hurting for a long time. So you can continue those little um, kindnesses. I call them kindnesses. And I had to learn to be kind to myself. And that was hard. I just felt that I deserved. I actually felt, Dave, that I did not deserve to be healed. And that was wrong. That was not truth. That was not truth. I, 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 it took me a long time to heal, but I know that I have joy again in my life and I have a happy life and our marriage made it. Do you know what the statistics were for Tom and me? No. 94% of all the marriages where a child 
completed suicide. 94% ended in divorce. And that was a huge battle. Yeah. So I mean, there are lots of battles and I do talk about them in my book, but I really talk more about the healing part of it because once you stop that negative mindset, that recording with all the lies and you start telling yourself truth and the first, the very first uh, turning point, I guess that would be the word that I could use was that it was four o'clock in the morning. I like to get up or I'm a morning person. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I got up, it was dark outside. I got my little cup of coffee and I sat down at the kitchen table, just like I would all the time. And I saw a book open on the table and I hadn't put it there. So, you know, I just reached over and, and swished it in front of me with my coffee cup. And it was actually a Bible. I do not know how it got there. Mm. And I looked down at that. It was from the book of John. And there was a little story. And Jesus is talking to the man who was crippled from birth. He had been laying by this healing pool for 38 years. And Jesus asks him a question. And that's just what came right to my eyesight. Would you like to get well? I had to put my coffee cup down and I actually said it out loud. Elaine, would you like to get well? Good question. Oh, it was an awesome question because I was stuck in that negative mindset and I, I, I knew I had to do something different. And I actually said out loud, yes, yes, I want to be healed. And that was the very beginning. Now, was there a total uh, miracle there that happened? No, it happened in little increments. I call them baby steps of healing because I had to initially ask myself, Elaine, do you want to get well? Mm. And the answer was yes. So then the door was open for me to have more positive thoughts, to put different things into my mind. You know, what books was I reading? What TV shows was I watching? Who was I listening to? Who was my mentor, my friend? You know, I really didn't have many friends at that time, David, because I was not a very pleasant person to be around. (laughs) An angry, pleasant, an an angry person is not pleasant. Debbie Downer. Nobody wants to be around Debbie Downer. That's right. That's right. And I had made myself into a Debbie Downer. I can't blame that on Matthew. Right. Um, oh, we have about 10 minutes to go. I want to make sure we cover all the important things. So let's talk about your book and I'll let you decide which are the most important things about your book that you want to share in that 10 minutes. Well, I think one of the most important things Mm. is to affirm the pain and caregivers know that they are affirming the pain all the time, but we must tell the caregivers, you know, affirm their pain. Um, I was a caregiver of myself and my husband, my other son. Mm. Um, and I had to start being kind to myself. But the, it began with affirming the pain. And then I, I really defined the battles that I was facing. And that was very good for me. Because mm. when you put a name to something, you know, it's easier to understand and it's easier to overcome. And when you get it but, out, when you speak it, it, it be, it's not inside anymore. Exactly. Even if it's not very pretty, I defined it, I said it, and I admitted it. And then you see that negative mindset. Well, now I was making some changes. And in my healing process, which took a long time, I would have to say the number one, after I determined that I wanted to be healed, it was changing my mindset, and then it was forgiveness. 
because I had a long list of people I needed to forgive. And of course, myself, I considered myself as number one. I actually sat down one day and I I wrote them all down, you know, the names of the doctors, the names of his teachers, the names of his friends. Everybody. You were blaming everybody, huh? I was blaming everybody. I blamed my husband, Tom. I blamed myself. And really, I should have blamed Matthew. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> he didn't get my wrath. You know, that <laughs> is so interesting with me that I wasn't angry at him. I kind of understood him. He was a melancholy child. His glass was never even half full. He didn't make friends easily. He didn't adapt easily. So, I mean, I kind of understood some of his concerns and problems. But what angered me in this long list, I had to really write down how, what do I have to forgive about the doctors? And then I had to just say, well, they were only human. They made the choices they could under the law that they could at the time. And I need to, you know, I, I couldn't always use the word forgiveness, but I could use the word or the thought of letting go. I could let go of that. It didn't haunt me all the time. It didn't bother me all the time. And I think that would be very important in everyone's life. I mean, I think we all have people we need to forgive. Sure. And some people didn't even know they were on my list. <laughs> yeah, unforgiveness is like drinking poison. Hope the other person will die. They don't feel all of your wrath. They're just going no. on having a good time, and we're killing ourselves. Amen. Amen <laughs> to that. You just said it all. <laughs> and forgiveness allows you to let go of that and not carry it around with you. You know, we talk about you know emotional baggage all the time, or sure. you know that letting go release. <clears throat> it's a release. And it helped my weariness. I became so weary after a while. I got so tired of battling that I finally gave in and, and let go of that. And then I was able to, um, to give myself away. I think, you know, we reap what we sow, right? Did I say that right? Yes. Sometimes I turn it around. We reap what we sow. Yes, that was right. Yeah. And I found that I had to start <clears throat> sowing um, even smiling, it started with the little baby step of I was much smiling much more at strangers even. And it was interesting. They smiled back. And I hadn't really noticed that for years that I was walking around, you know, with a chip on my shoulder and furrowed brows. And I wasn't going to smile or look at anybody. And I started looking people in the face and smiling at them. And I noticed they looked sad, too, and they would smile back. And I tell you, that little baby step of smiling or kindness, you know, baking cookies and giving them to your neighbor, those acts of kindness came back to me. I call it the, the harvest principle. You know, we have to spread some joy before we will receive joy in return. And that was a huge healing point for me. Yeah, and it also uh, does another thing. Uh, if we're kind to everybody, chances are you're going to be kind to someone who was thinking about taking their life. Uh, you know, who, who thought that Anthony Bordeaux, uh, Robin Williams, Kurt Cobain, um, the lady who had the purses, um, I can't think of her name right now, um, the designer purses. But Oh, I know who you mean. I yeah. can't think of her name either. 
but I know who you mean. Um, so, you know, you just never know who's going to, and you hear stories. I mean, my, one of my pastors, uh, about 30 years ago at a different church, um, his son committed suicide. He was, a probably about 17, 18. I can't remember, but, uh, being raised in a Christian home, you know, and they were good parents, but his thing was that he knew he was imperfect and he hated that about himself. You know, he wanted to be a good Christian and uh, he knew that sin was, was in him and he was so unforgiving to himself. And I, I, I would recommend this to Christian parents that, you know, don't be so hard on the kids that remind them that they're human. We're going to fail. God doesn't care, you know, what we do. He cares how long it takes us to get back up and, you know, he forgives us. We need, we need to forgive ourselves. And the one thing that is probably the number one topic in my book is grace always grace. wins. Love that word. <laughs> yes, grace, it covers us all. It covers every, every person. And so I know where Matthew is. And, you know, to be very honest with you, we were told that Matthew had taken the road to hell. I know there are people out there who actually believe that. Can you believe that? Yes. Yes. And of course, tell me why you don't believe that so that uh, there are people listening need to hear. I, I, I know where Matthew is because Matthew believed in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. Matthew was a Christian. We lived the Christian faith within our family. We went to church. They went to parochial schools. I know that Matthew was baptized. He was confirmed. All of those things. And my conversations, I know Matthew. He's my son. He had a Bible verse in his pocket when my husband found him hanging from a tree in the woods near our house. And and I I know that Matthew believed, and that's all it takes is belief, faith, faith. If we have faith. The thief on the cross made it, didn't he? Yes. And grace covers it all. It covered my sin, my anger, my rebellion against God. And, you know, the interesting thing about God, he waited for me. He just waited and waited and waited until I could forgive, until I could say, Father, I need you in my life. In fact, here's a great little story. I Just one, one minute. Sure. I was sitting in church, and I, I never participated in church anymore. I counted the ceiling tiles. I could name off the hundreds of ceiling tiles in that church within <laughs> each row. <laughs> but one day I heard the word solace. Now, isn't that an odd word? Who uses that in everyday language? But I knew right away what it was. I had missed the solace of God. I had missed his love, his care, his arms around me, prayer. I wasn't praying to him. And I missed that so much that I, I, again, another little baby step that I knew I need to reconnect with God. And he waited for me and he still loves me. He never loved me any lesser anymore. He loved me the same. Let's use, let's define grace because most people don't use that word a lot, you know, uh, so the way I see it, grace is getting something you don't deserve. So that's a good Absolutely. thing. Uh, and mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. Sure. You know, right. so if you deserve to be punished and you're not punished, that's mercy. If you deserve uh, punishment and you don't get it, that's grace. 
Yes. Yeah, it's so, so yeah. important. Yes, um, yes. So you talk about your book. Our, our lives, and so that's an important message. Thank you for talking about that. Not everyone <laughs> is willing to talk about that, so thank you. <laughs> sure. No, I love, I love grace, and I get lots of grace in my life. I'm not a perfect person. Um, you know, sometimes I can be uh, unsympathetic and un. Uh, you know, maybe rude sometimes, uh, not uh, sensitive to certain situations that I don't see. And the people in my life give me grace because they know my heart, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I try to give all of my kids grace because they mess up and we're all human. Well, what is this thing about everyone's trying to, you know, be perfect? Uh, I mean, they should strive for, for perfection, but you're never going to reach it. Not no. on this earth. And no. maybe, maybe that's why the two individuals we were talking about took their lives because they wanted to be perfect so much. They knew that maybe if they took their life, they would be perfect because they had a faith in, in God and uh, wanted to, you know, walk the streets of gold, et cetera. wanted to do it before their time. But uh, wow. Talking about a lot of good things here. Uh, how can we get a hold of your book? Well, it's everywhere, of course, Barnes everywhere. and Noble and <laughs> Amazon. It's, it's on our website. I have a wonderful website. I call it suicidehealing.com because my name is too hard to spell. Sure, sure, sure. So suicidehealing.com. And every, um, every week I have a blog there with short inspirational messages. Wow. And if someone is hurting after suicide loss, um, just connect with me on that website. Um, they can leave. They can chat with me. They can um, just share. You know, it's yeah. always good to share. So, yes, the book um, will be uh, helpful. I, I, I have a, a real deep compassion in my heart to help people heal after a tragic one. Thank you so much for sharing. And to all our other uh, listeners out there, thank you for tuning in every single week. Uh, We're here every time, uh, same day, same time. So we'll see you next week. And thank you again, Elaine. God bless you. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. And I'll get you the uh, links, uh, hopefully by the end of the day, and you can share them on your social media. Bye-bye. We will, I promise. It was Thank a great you. show. Thank you. It was. Thank you. You're a Bye. great host. Oh, Thank you're you. a great guest. <laughs> Our featured speaker is a best-selling author who has written numerous books and articles. He's a speaker, life coach, and host of Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program. He frequently appears on television and radio shows all across the country and has even shared the stage with Suzanne Summers at Harvard. But his most important role is caregiver to his beautiful wife, Charlene, for over 22 years. Please welcome Mr. Dave Nassani! I want to share with you a love story. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of being together. My wife, Charlene, and I had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. One day out of nowhere, my wife has a headache, the headache of her life. She suffered a massive stroke, and it left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. I got to tell you, the next two years was like a living hell. I just didn't know what to do. I felt guilty most of the time. I became a caregiver. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. I was experiencing the same problems that other caregivers experienced. If you don't take care of you, I can't take care of her. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Now I can teach other caregivers. I'm living proof that you can thrive as a caregiver. My wife and I travel now all over the world sharing our story. One day, life is going to call upon you to be the captain of your boat. Heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you.